1984 by George Orwell, chapters five through eight. What does intellectual surrender mean to you? That's, that's the question that we're going to look at in this section, chapters five through eight. Because at the root of everything going on in this text, we have to analyze the term intellectual surrender. So when we meet Syme, we need to remember that while his name's a little difficult to pronounce sometimes, and I'm probably going to pronounce it multiple ways talking about him, we have to remember what he represents as someone who is intellectually curious about the deconstruction of the society that they are living in. And while he is participating in it fully, and while he does, they show some hesitation in his commitment to it, he's fascinated by what is happening and what Big Brother is doing to human society. And that fascination has allowed him to excel in being a member of a group that's creating the Newspeak Dictionary, the 11th edition. And this Newspeak Dictionary is destroying words. The less words, the less thoughts, the less self-expression. It's a dumbing down of expression. And ultimately what it's doing, it's narrowing the range of thought. How someone is going to think and not just feel. Feelings are vast. All right, but how someone can express those feelings is ultimately limited to the vocabulary, the vernacular that someone's able to produce. By deconstructing the human language, ultimately you're telling people that they will not be able to express themselves in a manner that's not designed by the state. Simon believes, or Sime, sorry, totally believes that this is the most fascinating endeavor that he can be a part of. But part of the problem with him, and we understand that this is the way that Winston sees him, is that because he's enjoying this so much, even though he is by 100% supporting the state, that, that intellectual curiosity, that element to him, is going to ultimately be his demise. So even someone who is completely invested in the process that's going to be right in line with what the state is trying to do to this society, because there is an element to it that supports intellectual curiosity, because he's not fully committed to the intellectual surrender, that he himself will be disposed of in some way, shape, or form. And that's one of the most interesting things about this, that even the people who are 100% committed to this, if they are not committed in a blind manner, if they're not committed in a way that is almost, we can describe, as we talked about in class, at a level of just being stupid, stupid, meaning that they have no thoughts that are their own, that they're completely just regurgitating what they've been told and not questioning anything, that level of intellectual curiosity that Syme has is ultimately going to lead to something that eliminates him. We got to think big picture here, though. Narrowing thoughts down in the way people can express them and turning government and politics into a language, which creates this idea of a same brain mentality. And that it's pointed out in the text that there are no thoughts, as we understand in the day, that would take place once this language becomes the official languages of everyone. The concept of molding and, mel and melting 
the politics of the government together with language to eliminate the possibility of people having contrary beliefs and ideas. It's something that is horrific because in a lot of ways we are raised to question. We are raised to think about why things are the way they are. And we see a variety of acceptance in this uh, section, chapters five through eight. We see Parsons, who we met his wife earlier and his somewhat crazy children. And we learn more about Parsons and his children. His children are, as we've talked about earlier, are being weaponized. They are being indoctrinated with the state's mentality. And the hope is, obviously, with each generation, the generation before that will become more committed to the state. There will be less questioning of their practices. And at first, the children, as we see, are violent and, and borderline evil. But as we also see this, we also mentioned that Winston has a wife, which we talked about in class, that how family units are formed. And the fact that the society, as we know it in modern day existence in real life, the family unit is an essential part of any community. It's the opposite in the world of 1984. The family unit is completely deconstructed. There is no relationship between the husband and wife beyond the purpose of potentially making a child. They remove people from relationships who are attracted to one another. And as we look at this, Winston's wife, Catherine, he defines her as a human soundtrack of Big Brother. So we're seeing these people exist in the novel. They are not characters that are just kind of in and out. There are characters that have huge impacts on the way that Winston is experiencing life. Because we have to remember in this entire section that Winston is going to not just be experiencing his life for himself, but he's holding himself accountable by comparing himself to the other people around him. And his wife, who, remember, divorce was something we talked about in class, was not allowed. After a while, they just left each other. But being married to someone whose sole idea and concepts of life and how it would impact Winston to make him feel like an other, someone who doesn't get along with this style of thinking, this line of thought, is part of Big Brother's plan. That if you ultimately see yourself as going against Big Brother, you're ultimately in a situation where you are to feel like the only. And it's throughout this entire sections, chapter five, six, seven, and eight, we see that Winston consistently is trying to reach out for a community, a community that could potentially rebel or cause a revolution. But because everyone is isolated to the point where they are meant to feel like their feelings, they're the only one feeling those feelings. And the community, while everyone is committed to the government and the policies of the government and the rewriting of the history and committed to this lie, it doesn't allow for any space or any other potential rebellion to take place because it's impossible to gain traction outside of feeling like you're the only one who feels this way. The isolation of the individual is essential to the intellectual surrender. People are traditionally not designed to, be about, to go about their lives in a lonely, isolated way. It's only when community is offered 
through a complete surrender of the self, does someone become, I wouldn't even say successful in this world, but they're able to maintain a life. You do have to ask yourself, what is exactly living in 1984? Is Catherine living? Winston's wife, call her even though she, they're not really together. Is Parsons living? Is Syme living? He seems to be, but he's putting himself on the knife's edge, on the brink of potentially enjoying the process of this creation of this new thing to the point where he's probably considered dangerous. And Winston, while he feels like he's the only one who feels this way, but he's willing to prove that he's not the only one, he's seeking the answers in all the wrong places. The proletariat we know is not going to be able to potentially support him. We know the old man he seeks out to talk about the past is unable to confirm any of Winston's thoughts and feelings. The concept of happiness tied in with history and the importance of how history is written. We see an excerpt from a history textbook that explains just sort of an absurd story about what existed prior to the revolution. And Winston feeling like that couldn't possibly be true, but Winston has been around so many people who have just bought fully and completely and holistically into what the government is selling that he no longer can trust his own memories nor what he has learned about in any scene, any sort of text or show or entertainment. It's all fabricated. He knows it. So when the society is being asked to reject what they see and what they hear, and this concept of solitude being dangerous, they even have a term for it called own think. They also have a term we talked about in class called a face crime. Basically, you, you have a, your reaction to what is being said or done if you don't react the right way. This is all tied into control. But in controlling the human experience at this level, like we did with the last section, you have to consistently ask yourself, is this still a human society? And if the answer is no, what is the ultimate goal beyond just power and control? What are they achieving by limiting people to this extent? As we think about these chapters, these final couple chapters, a couple last points here, I want us to remember that the sales pitch about this world is that people would be happier, potentially even healthier. And Winston goes out of his way to point out that everything about this experience from the looks of the people to the makeup of the city to the food, everything is ugly. Everything is broken. So if we were to believe that this society is struggling, then why are they still committed to it? Who is benefiting from it? We have not seen any aspect of anyone in this society seemingly benefiting from this situation. So if the Ministry of Plenty is selling the, everyone on happiness and they're just blindly accepting it, is it truly happiness? Can you be told you're happy and just accept it? It's one of the ultimate tests of what we're looking at in, in this text. So as we move forward with Winston, consistently analyze how the world is being designed. What is being gained from this other than just power and control? We've talked about that this is a society that has lived under war in times of war the entire time it's been together. We realize that this could be fabricated. 
and the fact that facts and truth seem to not matter. As we've seen with the quote we talked about in class about the fact that freedom is connected to the fact that two plus two equals four and we all can agree to it. This idea that freedom essentially is this idea that we can have things that are considered fact that aren't debatable regardless of your political ideology. In this case, with what we're seeing with the world of 1984, the fact that they can change the facts regardless of what the ramifications are is essentially what we're talking about mental and physical slavery of the highest order, where a person is way beyond able to be a person. And the human condition is reduced other than, to nothing other than a vessel, a vessel of movement, lacking ideas, lacking emotions, lacking connection. And as we consider these concepts, we have to remember the fact that the narrowing of thought is going to ruin human expression. And are we humans if we cannot create, if we cannot express ourselves? And ultimately, what are we living for if this is a society that these characters are having to live in? So as we analyze this, we know this is a dystopian novel. We know that this is something that is an extreme scenario. But we have to reflect on our own world. How are we being influenced? How are we seeing the world? Just remember something to think about. 